Good morning. It is a pleasure for me to be able to speak to you this morning. And of course, I don't need to say it, but I'm going to say it. Um, what a weird time it is that we're in. I always love uh, coming to Chinese for Christ Church um, just because it's so similar to churches that I that I grew up in, that I went to in college. It's very similar to the church that I serve at now. I feel very home at home in churches like this. I love Josh um, and I love hanging out with Pastor Josh. And so when he invited me to come and speak to this group uh, on this Sunday, I thought at first it was to come live. But then he told me that um, that uh, I could just record it and, and do it that way. So I'm recording to you from my bedroom. This is the first time that I've ever recorded a sermon like this. So bear with me if it feels a little clunky. But if you don't mind, let's bow our heads together before we look into the Word of God. Let's bow our heads together. Let's ask God to do whatever He wants to do in this time. The Word of God is powerful, whether we meet in person or we meet like this. So let's turn to Him now. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the privilege it is that as believers in Jesus, we gather, even though it's in a virtual way, we gather together to worship you. We turn our eyes and our attention to you. We ask that you would speak to us from your word. Help us, Lord, to get past um, the, the distractions of meeting on a screen. Help us to get past the distractions in our homes and the things that are going on. Um, help us to get past these things so that in a very real way, our spirits can uh, join together. Um, to use the cliche that we are one in spirit, and we don't mean it in a cliche way, Lord. So we pray now that as we turn our attention to you and to your word, that you would speak to us and teach us. We allow you and invite you to do your work in this time. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you're uh, like me. Um, I've been thinking uh, as we seem to be getting closer and closer to the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Do you feel like that a little bit? Like we see the end of the tunnel, we the end of this COVID nightmare with people getting vaccinated. And now we're, we're moving on from phase one, group 1A or whatever it is they use to designate the different groups. We're now at the next group and hopefully soon we'll get to phase two, group two. And, and, and eventually, uh, I know that for me personally, because of my age and my health history, I'm at the bottom. I'm in the last group, whatever it is, group five, phase five, um, whatever phase it is at the, at the very bottom, that's me. But if you're like me, you're feeling that uh, you can almost see the light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, one of the things that has been completely eliminated, and who knows if it's going to come back um, to what it used to be. But if you're like me, I, from time to time, I love to bowl. I think bowling is one of these things where I hope it doesn't go away. The thought of going to a place and sharing bowling balls and shoes with, with people who've used them before, I, I, I don't know if it's going to make a return, okay? It's one of those things like buffets. It might come back, but it might be very different than what we were used to. In any case, 
thinking about bowling. Years ago, we used to bowl regularly. This was before we had children. There's a bowling alley not too far. And on Wednesday nights after nine o'clock, they had a special. It was $1 a game. Now, this is more than 10 years ago. Maybe it's $1.50 a game now. In any case, $1 a game, that is dirt cheap. That's a steal. And so a few of us, Wednesday night at 9 o'clock at 8.55, we would meet at the bowling alley to bowl a couple of games. We'd bowl for an hour or 90 minutes or whatever. It's still a work night. And we'd do it, and we had a great time. And we'd, uh, we'd play games, we'd compete, and we'd keep records of who was doing well and who was improving. And I remember at one point I had sort of a bowling breakthrough. I discovered a secret, a secret that had uh, sort of been lost on me. I had not discovered it or really realized it until I had a breakthrough. You know, normally when you bowl, and you're looking down the lane and you see the pins, you got the ball in your hand, you're thinking to yourself, I wanna hit the head pin, but not straight on. Those of you who bowl, you know, you're not supposed to hit the head pin straight on. You hit somewhere in the gap between the head pin and the one right behind it. Somewhere in that window is where you wanna aim. And so you focus on that little gap and you roll the ball down the lane, hoping to hit that gap because you know, if I can get close to that gap, I've got a good shot at getting all of the pins to be knocked down. I have a good shot of getting a strike. Well, one of these days or one day when I was uh, bowling a lot, um, I discovered that in front of you, not all the way down the lane, but much, much closer to where the line is, where you cannot cross, you see a bunch of arrows. And I discovered that instead of having my eyes focused all the way down the lane to be successful, the secret was not to stare at the pins, but to refocus on these arrows. That if I spent more time trying to find that gap, which is in the arrows, the arrows are lined up just like the pins. If I could focus my eyes and my attention on that gap, I've got a much better shot at hitting that gap than I do at looking at that gap. If that makes any sense, instead of looking at the arrows and uh, the pins, look at the arrows, okay? So that's just the secret that I discovered that made me better. I improved. Now, I don't know if that's an official thing, if that's what they teach you in bowling school and whatnot, but it worked for me. And I pass that on to you, my friends at uh, Chinese for Christ Hayward at the crossing. That's a free tip for you for bowling. Okay. Look at the arrows, not the pins. You know, I mentioned this because in the passage that I want to take us to this morning, Paul mentions that he also has learned a secret. It's not unlike the secret that I learned about bowling. It's a secret about how to be successful. It's a secret that Paul discovered through his relationship with the Lord, maybe through the wisdom of other people, other believers ahead of him, maybe studying God's word itself. He came upon a secret 
but this secret is so much more valuable than the secret that I shared with you. It's the secret of being content. And I want to turn your attention, if you would, this morning to Philippians chapter 4. Turn your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to read for us from verses 10 to 13. So please follow along with me. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's just stop for a moment and let me ask the question. Who wouldn't want to learn the secret of being content? Who wouldn't want to know this? If there's one thing that I've discovered in 2020, like so many of us, we are filled with dissatisfaction and it comes out in anger, in irritation, in uh, protests of so many kinds. And it's not even my place to talk about the protests, but you know what I'm referring to. 2020 was the year of the protest, all different kinds. And certainly there are things that uh, some would deem worth protesting. I'm not here to argue that. All I'm trying to say, though, is for so many of us, 2020 and our lives in general are filled with such dissatisfaction. And Paul here in Philippians chapter 4 says, I get it, but I know the secret of being content, the secret of being fulfilled, the secret of being satisfied. And I'm here to share it with you this morning. That's what Paul says. And I, it's not that I know this secret. I simply want to tell you what I think for us to meditate together, what I think Paul is telling us about contentment and how to be content. Because if there's anything that's been lacking in so many people's lives, so many marriages, so many relationships with our parents, with our children, with our friends, so many situations at work and at school, it is the lack of satisfaction, the lack of contentment. We just keep saying we want this time to be done. And maybe we should spend a little bit of time looking at what Paul says about contentment here. Well, the first thing that we see about contentment comes in verses 10 and 11. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be Content. So the first thing that we see here, first of all, is a little bit of the background of this letter. Paul, in his state of need, was being ministered to by the Philippian 
congregation. They took a collection and they sent this collection through the, the hands of an emissary, the hands of their ambassador from the church at Philippi, a young man named Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was somebody that Paul knew well. So when Epaphroditus came to visit Paul, Epaphroditus also brought to Paul a gift, a monetary gift to aid Paul in his need. So this letter, the letter to the Philippians, serves in part as a thank you for sending this gift. Thank you for sending Epaphroditus to, to comfort me and to accompany me. Thank you also for the gift. But he also says here, and this is important, he says, I thank you not because I was in need previously, and now I am not in need, and now I'm content. He says, that's not where my contentment comes from. In verse 11, Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, whatever circumstance, to be content. And that leads us to our first point of this passage. And there are really two main points, but the first one is that we have to remember that the contentment that God gives to us, that he wants to give to us, is not proportional. It's not related to, it's not affected by how much we have. It's not impacted by how much we have. And there are a couple of ramifications of this. In other words, so often we think to ourselves, and it's there, it's deep, it's part of our, it's part of our natural body, our instinct to think this. We're not content because we don't have enough or because we don't like what we have. Why am I dissatisfied with life? Well, it's because this isn't right, and that could be better, and this could be better, and I wish I had more of this, I wish I had less of that. How often we find ourselves saying to ourselves, I will be content when my circumstances change. And Paul says, that's a lie. That's a lie of the world that you have to remember. It's the world giving you and spoon feeding you this lie to make you not search for God's contentment. You see, because God's contentment has nothing to do with our circumstance. Paul says he had learned how to be content in any and every situation. He has learned the secret of being content. He goes on to say in verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says this a couple of different times because in my opinion, this is the very lie that we fall into. You think to yourself, why are you maybe experiencing discontentment? Well, let's, let's list them out. 
there are political things to be discontent about, whichever side of the aisle you happen to be on. There are sociological things to be discontent with. There are church-related things to be discontent with. I'm discontent because my wife or my husband does this or doesn't do that. I'm discontent because my parents or my children do this or don't do that. I'm discontent because school is hard or online learning is tough. And if once we get past this, then I will find how to be content. I'm discontent because I don't have enough. If I just had more, I'd be more content. If my house were bigger, I'd be more content. If my job were better, I'd be more content. If I made more money, I'd be more content. You know, those of us who um, are working, you know this very well. You get a raise, and uh, how long does it take before the, the, the joy, and I'm going to use this in air quotes, the joy of that raise wears off? How long? Is it a week? Is it a month? There's, I'm sure somebody has done a study of how long that good feeling lasts before the employee is again discontent. Uh, when I used to work, uh, when I, my first job out of college, I worked at a, a pharmaceutical company and uh, once a year we got a raise and you could tell, you know, up until then, you, maybe you, you experienced some, you're disgruntled, you're tired of the job, you're, you're discontent with how the job is going or your coworkers or whatever it is. You get a raise and it lasts for a little while. I would say about a month, maybe six weeks to eight weeks. You're feeling pretty good. You, you've got a little pep in your step again. You've got a little, uh, little bit of energy and you're motivated. Until you're not. Until the discontentment settles in again. This is the experience that we have. Anybody who's bought a cell phone knows that. It's the same thing. How long does the excitement of a new cell phone, a new model, a new iPhone, how long does that excitement last before it is gone? You see, you keep saying to yourself, I've only got the iPhone 8, but man, if I could upgrade to the 12 or whatever number we're at right now, I would be, I would be so content. And that's true for a couple of months. Folks, that's not contentment. That's a, that's a counterfeit satisfaction. It is real. I feel it when I get an upgrade of my laptop or my cell phone or my car or anything that from time to time gets upgraded. My television. Yeah, you feel it for a while. That's counterfeit. Let's be smarter than that. Let's be wiser than that. Let's be more discerning than that for us to recognize that that counterfeit contentment is a real thing. It lasts a while, but it goes away because true contentment, as Paul says, has nothing to do with your circumstance. True contentment is obtainable, obtainable, achievable, 
regardless of what circumstance you find yourself in. Paul experienced both tremendous need and abundance. And he says that the contentment that he experiences, the secret of that contentment has nothing to do with his circumstance, has nothing to do with how much he has. And this is where we need to start. We need to start and recognize for ourselves if we are looking for contentment from a change of circumstance. That right there, folks, is where you have to catch yourself. If you're not content, like so many of us are not content, the prayer is not, God, change my circumstance. Let me put it to you this way, actually. Let me, let me, let me rephrase that. The, the prayer is not just God, change my circumstance. We can certainly pray for that. If we're sick, God, heal us. If we think that um, uh, our marriage needs help, God, help our marriage. If our job's not going well, God, help my job. If school is going bad, God, help my studies. We can certainly pray, God, change my circumstance. But let's not just pray. God changed my circumstance. It's not just God changed my circumstance. It is also God changed my attitude. God changed my perspective. God helped me to realize that true and lasting and spiritual and eternal contentment has nothing to do with my circumstance just like it wasn't for Paul. We move on here in our passage, Philippians chapter four, and we get to uh, probably what is one of the most famous verses in all of scripture. It's right up there with John 3, 16, and uh, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. I mean, all these very, very famous uh, Second Chronicles 7, 14, all these very famous passages that people commit to memory. Well, Philippians 4, 13 is right there. And let me read Philippians 4, 13 for us. Paul says, after having talked extensively about how the secret of being content has nothing to do with my circumstance. Paul simply says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now I have to stop for a moment because in my opinion, this may be one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible, because it's short and it uh, uses words like all, all things, um, which uh, tend to get, uh, in my opinion, overblown, maybe overextended. This verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, um, often is quoted as a promise, some sort of guarantee uh, for supernatural strength in times of weakness, supernatural ability in times of inadequacy, supernatural comfort in times of need. Uh, but like so many verses that we quote a lot, 
More often than not, when we understand them in context, the meaning is slightly different than what we thought. For example, in this passage, uh, Philippians 4.13, which still, by the way, is a wonderful verse to memorize. When Paul says that he can do all things, is it really all things? Does Paul really mean in this context, he can do all things? There are certain things I know, no matter how much God strengthens me, I will never be able to do as much as I quote this verse. I will never be able to dunk a basketball as much as I want to, as much as I pray to, as much as I yearn for it. That's, that's not possible. Paul, Paul says, I can do all things. And yet when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, we have to take this in context. He's not saying that a person has no limits. He's not, has nothing to do with our abilities or our achievements. He is speaking this sentence about a very specific situation that he had been discussing already in the previous verses. Uh, maybe a better way to understand this verse, Philippians 4.13, uh, so that we don't find ourselves uh, possibly misinterpreting it, uh, would be this way, okay, this phrase. I can do all these things through him who strengthens me. Instead of saying, I can do all things, I would suggest we understand it this way. I can do all these things through him who strengthens me. I can live in poverty and be content. I can live in wealth and be content. I can live in need and not yearn for more. I can live in plenty and not become tied to my material possessions. I can live in hunger and not be disgruntled at the Lord. I can be well-fed and still keep my eyes on the bread of life. Paul says, I can do all of these things. I can live in plenty and be spiritually minded, and I can be, live in need and find true spiritual contentment. I can do all these things. Why? Because my strength comes from the Lord. And of course, we know this is not, this is not a secret for any of us, but simply a reminder. When you look for contentment in any source that is not God or his son, Jesus, or comes from the spirit, you're going to come up empty. You're going to have that counterfeit contentment. Any source of contentment that comes apart from him is going to feel good for a while, but it will not last. The type of contentment that Paul is trying to lead us to, the secret that he's trying to reveal to us is that that contentment only comes from God himself, only comes from his strength. And that means if you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord through his son, Jesus Christ, 
then you cannot experience the contentment that Paul speaks of here. Because this comes from that wonderful and intimate and real and eternal relationship that we have with the Lord. If you find yourself looking for that kind of contentment, that satisfaction, you need to come face to face with the Lord. You need to come before the cross on your knees, repent from your sins, and confess Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, your King. You need to talk to a brother and sister at the crossing, an older, much more mature brother and sister who can lead you of how to begin this relationship. Because you can only experience that contentment in conjunction with that relationship. That relationship with the Lord, the source of our strength, the source of our contentment. Paul tells us this morning his secret, his secret of being content, his secret of finding satisfaction. And really, it's encapsulated in two major points. Number one, that spiritual contentment, true and lasting contentment is not dependent, is not contingent, it's not related to, it's not proportional to what we have or our circumstance. In other words, we could find ourselves, we can find ourselves in any circumstance like Paul and experience the contentment that he experienced, that true and lasting contentment. It's not about having more. It's not about having less. It's not about asking God just to change our circumstance but about asking God to change our attitude. And then lastly, it's that this contentment only comes from him. It only comes when you're walking with God. It only comes when you're uh, meditating on him, meditating on his word, meditating on his values, and asking God humbly, God, change me to be more like you. Help me to think like you. Help me to see the world like you. So that I might experience the true satisfaction that only comes from you. I think about the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Huh. Brothers and sisters, who doesn't want that today? Who doesn't want that rest? I'll tell you right now, I am here. I want that rest because the world outside is so noisy and messy and maybe for good reason. But I'm looking for that rest and the contentment that only comes from him. Would the Lord grant to us this morning that contentment? We bow our heads again. Heavenly Father, would you please come to meet us where we are at? I pray for the brothers and sisters at the crossing, those who are listening to this message this morning, 
that whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, whatever mess we find ourselves in, Lord, would you allow us to experience true contentment? Would you be the one to provide for us that true contentment? Would you be the one that we turn our attention to, that we turn our eyes to, to experience that true contentment? Would you allow us to see that any other contentment from the world is simply counterfeit contentment, not true and lasting contentment and satisfaction? Lord, allow us to be living testimonies of what it is to live at peace and rest when we walk with you, when we walk in step with you through your son, Jesus. Allow us to be living testimonies to those around us who have been looking in the dark for spiritual contentment they cannot find. But we know where it comes from, Lord. We know the secret. And the secret is to find it from you, not from the world. Would you allow us to be living testimonies of that to those around us? For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for allowing me to come and share with you this morning. Um, I hope one day I can come again in person and see you and break bread with you and, and have coffee and, and shake hands and, uh, and, and share a real 3D, three-dimensional time with you in the Word of God. And until then, God bless you. Thank you again.